0: Warning, this week's Drabblecast is rated R for language, F-bomb, once or twice. Hello and welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 169. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction audio magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. We've got a great show for you folks this week, and that's a statement, not a fact. But first, a little reminder that we're in the middle of taking submissions for our third annual Nigerian Scam Spam contest, to see who can write the best, most interesting story in the form of scam email. Only a handful of entries so far, we know there's got to be more spam master chefs out there listening. Don't be shy. Nigerian Scam Spam doesn't get all the recognition it deserves as a literary genre, so we here at the Drabblecast are doing our part to promote this high art. Here's one I just whipped up. Dearest kind sirs, and furthermore madams of sorts, these words come to you in much haste, for as they say, good opportunities fade like soft poots offered to strong rattling winds. I am most honorable alchemical engineer and founder of Mapet Labs, where futures are of makings today. And I wish to make offering to you, kind sir, of much greater significance than simple capricious pootings. As graduate of Carnegie Mellonhead University, I have made fortune with American patent marks from many notable inventings such as the edible paperclip, the gorilla detector, and the electric nose warmer. This I have done despite a moderate to severe vision impairment caused by lack of any eyes, so to speak, and also despite the irksome and relentless beeping of my luckless red-haired associate, Bikeger. I am in needings of Trucksworthy American Investor for provide startup funds for new apparatus, the Banana Sharpener. BKKR has run much numbers, and we anticipate dividends strong and rattling. Fill your lungs with this warm opportunity before it blows away. Yours in business and Facebookings, Dr. Bunsen C. Honeydew, bespectacled practitioner of eldritch alchemical arts. See? It's not that hard. Just make it 300 words or less and send it in to drabblecast at yahoo.com. This contest has a cash prize of a hundred bucks. That could be the most fun hundred bucks you ever made. So get cracking, weirdos. Alrighty, let's get this show on the road. It's Drabble time. Drabbles are stories exactly 100 words, and that's tougher than it sounds. Give it a shot and send it in to Drabblecast at yahoo.com. This week's Drabble comes to us from Rish Outfield, and it's called Grandpa. Rish is host and co-editor of the Doonstief Audio Fiction magazine, which is another great place to get fiction for your ears, if you're looking for more of such things. He's a writer and actor whose greatest fantasy, he says, is to someday be as cool and talented as Norm Tiberius Sherman. His second greatest fantasy involves Anne Hathaway, such a gentle man, so decent that I'd always found him boring. He had no stories to tell and kept to himself for thirty years after grandma died. After he too passed away, it was up to my mom and me to go through his house, deciding what things to keep, what things to sell, what things to throw out. It was Mom who found the door to the secret room, and all the human remains in shoeboxes along the wall, skulls of different sizes neatly lining the shelves. I guess maybe Grandpa wasn't so boring after all. Yeesh, I guess not. Hey, those skulls could have been responsibly harvested in line with fair practices. Let's give Grandpa the benefit of the doubt. We try to remember the best about people we love. We keep those things alive with photographs, mementos. We have holidays and rituals and reenactments in their honor. And sometimes, if the person, or dead duck, being memorialized is a big enough deal to us, we can begin to obsess over the ritual perhaps to an extraordinary degree. And on that note, we bring you The Reenactment by Ben Winters. Ben is the author of the New York Times best-selling book, Sense and Sensibility and Sea Monsters, which takes Jane Austen's classic novel of love and social distinction and adds in nefarious pirates and rampaging giant mutant lobsters. I loved this book and I emailed Ben several months ago asking if he'd write a story for us, and he did. And I think you folks are gonna like it. I'm a big fan of what Ben's publishing company Quirk Classics is doing, blending the works of classic literary masters with new scenes of horrific creatures and gruesome action. Designed to be cleverly conceived, well-written, and entertainingly executed masterpieces, they intend to bring new fans to both classic works of literature and to original works of genre-based fiction. And that last bit is what hooked me. Sure, these books aren't for everyone, but they're hitting it big for a reason, and I can definitely see more people being romanced back to the classics and to speculative fiction genres because of them. I just picked up a copy of Ben's newest, Android Karenina, and I'm looking forward to launching in. Library Journal gives it a great review, saying, Winters does a spectacular job, adding robots and mechanical terrorism to the misery, adultery, and philosophical introspection of Tolstoy's masterpiece. Robotic companions and functional devices replace domestic servants. Yevin mines for Groznium rather than tending his farm, and Vronsky's beloved Fru-Fru is not a magnificent horse, but a Transformer-like BattleBot. Toy soldiers, emotion bombs, and planetary invasion intertwine with Anna's societal condemnation for her tumultuous affair with Vronsky, while Yevin's self-discovery and marriage with Kitty reaffirm faith and hope in freedom and integrity. Creepy, thrilling, and highly enjoyable. Wow, well there you go. It just came out last week, people. Order a copy from Amazon.com, which you'll find linked in our show notes. Okay, enough talk. Without further ado, we bring you... The Reenactment, by Ben H. Winters. This is devastating news, Mr. Vesuvian. Devastating... Paul Vesuvian cringed. Possibly I was speaking louder than necessary, given the close confines of the teacher's lounge, but I am nothing, if not a man of passion, particularly when riled by disappointment. Well, look, I I hate to let you down here, Bob, Vesuvian replied weakly. Let me down? I snorted. You, sir, are spitting in the face of 14 years of tradition! He said nothing. I was right and Mr. Vesuvian knew that I was right. For 14 years, the North Piscatawi High School History Department, under my stewardship, has honored the tradition of Dual Day, our annual reenactment of the famous deadly confrontation of 1804 between Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr. And for all 14 of those reenactments, I, Robert Stanley, have taken the role of Noble Hamilton and Paul Vesuvian from the Math Department, has filled the boots of this scurrilous burr. What is the obligation? I demanded of my colleague and so-called friend. What can be so important that it precludes your participation in duel day? Vesuvian squinted, fiddling with his stringy brown mustache. Ah, uh, well, you know, he stammered at last. Me and uh, Meg are getting married that weekend. (laughs) Didn't you get the invite? Certainly I did. Not only had I received the nauseating pink-lined summons, I had RSVP'd promptly, scrawling in the margin an appropriate epigram from Alexander Pope and indicating my preference for the fish. Your nuptials, I noted dryly, are on a Saturday. Duel day is the preceding Friday. Where, then, is the conflict? Vesuvian shrugged, weaseling his way around me, past the Coke machine, and out the door. Uh, yeah, I-, I just can't do it, Bob. Have fun. Have fun indeed! I stormed to fifth period, stopping in the front hall to snatch a battered ball cap off the oily, smirking head of Ryan Walcott. No hats in school, young man. Hey! He hollered as I pitched the offending item into the trash bin outside the cafeteria. I don't make the rules, Mr. Walcott. But but, get to class. Securing a replacement burr would not be easy. My fellow instructors are primarily of the female persuasion, and I could hardly cast Coach Cutler, he being one of these quote-unquote popular teachers, which is to say, a teacher going about his job incorrectly. Why, that grinning buffoon would have the children cheering for Burr. It was sheer desperation, therefore, that drove me to the internet. Todd Galecki, a squinty-eyed junior with the waxy, pimpled skin of a methamphetamine addict, directed me to a site called Craigslist, an electronic Hadrian's Forum offering a dizzying array of goods, from desk lamps to concert tickets to prostitutes. It was with great trepidation that I ventured, even virtually, into such a grim arena. But what choice was there? I am not embarrassed to confess that I look forward to Duel Day more than any other date on the school calendar. Indeed, it is the only date on the school calendar which I anticipate with even the slightest enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. When you become a teacher, you imagine that God has given you a mission, a purpose, alas, Anyone with half a brain is soon disabused of that particular bit of naivete. Your only purpose is to be the subject of unrelenting torment. To be slowly ground to dust by a great unending flow of ignorance from your students, their parents, your principal and colleagues. But then, once a year, I, Robert Stanley don the tights and vest of Alexander Hamilton, assume his accent and aspect, and ascend the rugged cliffs of Weehawken to bring him vividly to life in his final and most glorious episode. And every once in a while, I dare say, one of the less feeble-minded children derives from this spectacle a small frisian of pleasure. A brief glimpse into the gleaming treasure trove of history. Most do not, sadly. Idiots. The sole respondent to my Craigslist post presented himself for inspection in my classroom one summer afternoon, two short weeks before duel day. He was an unimpressive figure in his early thirties, with a high glossy forehead, greasy black hair, and a dark, glowering look about him. Immediately I was filled with a weary disappointment that this mopey, sad sack could hope to fill the boots of Thomas Jefferson's scheming vice president in the next instant however i became aware of a queer change in the atmosphere as if the man had brought into the room with him some sort of powerful electric charge as he settled awkwardly into a student desk and introduced himself in a low mumble as todd castle an out-of-work actor and odd jobsman i studied him carefully stringy thinning hair ugly sloped face, awful posture, and yet I could not say what it was, but undeniably there was something in his sunken, twitchy eyes, something that spoke of the extraordinary. The reenactment is rather simple, I began. I will shoot first, just as Hamilton did, but of course over your head and into the surrounding trees. You, in the part of Vice-President Burr, will count to three and then return fire, striking me a mortal wound four inches above the right hip. Of course we shall be using blank rounds, since my commitment to verisimilitude does not extend (laughs) to being mortally wounded. Castle nodded imperceptibly either not understanding or not appreciating my jest. I shall supply you with your costume and a historically accurate firearm. Oh, that's all right, Castle muttered. I got one. (laughs) Excuse me, I said skeptically. You possess a 54 caliber 18th century dueling pistol. Yeah, he said staring back at me suddenly with an air of defiance. I got one. Before I could respond, my Craigslist Burr rose from his chair and grabbed the thin stack of $10 bills comprising the advance half of his payment. All right then, he said and hastened from the room. The nerve, I thought, the insolence. And then I laughed out loud. (laughs) Who, after all, had been the very height of insolence? Who the height of money-grabbing, sneering, self-interested scorn? Who but Aaron Burr? And by God if the fellow, with his high forehead and beady eyes, didn't look just a bit like Burr himself. I felt again that strange, almost mystical shiver of potentiality in the air. Perhaps the Fates, in collaboration with the World Wide Web, had sent me the perfect reenactment partner after all. On the way to my car, I gave Paul Vesuvian's closed math room door a jaunty middle finger salute, thinking, this might just be the best duel day we've ever had. I was not permitted, as usual, to schedule my reenactment on the real anniversary of the duel. Hamilton and Burr fought on July 11th, and the school board, as cretinous as the children under its charge, will not permit a field trip in midsummer. And so, we left on the second Friday in June, just after the first period bell. Not, alas ferried across the hudson but driven in the canary yellow field trip bus by slack-jawed mr angelo my hamiltonian finery inspired its usual snickers from my students but i soon demonstrated that even in the guise of a founding father i would not hesitate to award detention nor to seize a contraband cellular telephone I don't make the rules, Mr. Langley, I said brusquely, ignoring the squeals of protest as I tossed the phone out the window onto the New Jersey Turnpike. When we arrived, Todd Castle was already there, waiting expressionlessly in the costume I'd provided, in the jacket and vest, the breeches and boots, his superficial resemblance to Aaron Burr was increased exponentially. I stared at him across the pitch, nearly overcome by an intense feeling, as impossible to describe as to ignore, that something deeply powerful was at work between us. He stared back, and my finger itched for the trigger. Though we would be firing blanks, though we were surrounded by snickering school children a half mile from a rest stop with its vending machines and porta parties, I felt as charged with anticipation as if I were truly Alexander Hamilton, prepared to defend my honor to the death if need be. Castle and I exchanged nods and strode to ten paces. A piggy-eyed sophomore named Hal Valley hollered present just as I had taught him and scurried off to the cover of the tree line. I turned, counted three, and like Hamilton I fired my blank round over my opponent's shoulder, too valorous to refuse Burr's challenge, too gallant to shoot him down like the dog he was. Then Todd Castle shot me in the chest. I flew backwards like I'd been struck by a train and landed on the muddy ground with a thud, my entire body a fiery explosion of pain. I wailed like an animal, my mind writhed in pain and confusion. The hip, Bur shot Hamilton on the hip, just above the right hip. And that was not a blank round. What in the fuck? I shouted, entirely out of character. I heard the frightened cries of the students, blinking through teary eyes. I saw their feet scampering in all directions for escape. He shot me! He actually shot me! I imagined I could feel the bullet, a miniature cannonball, lodged below my heart, sending electric pulse lines of agony throughout my chest and out into my extremities with effort i propped myself on one elbow in time to see my insane opponent striding across the pitch pistol extended before him oh no please i wheezed no but on he came easily covering the ten paces that had separated us i clutched the hole in my chest and my hands came up red Ugh oh, this is all paul vesuvian's fault i thought Then Castle was towering above me, his contemptuous sneer backlit by the morning sun. Like Burr, I thought. My god, he looks just like Burr. I coughed. The world swam. Feebly, I lifted my hands, croaked out a pitiful, please. Castle licked his lips and said nothing. There was naught but deep silence in the woods around us. The children were all gone. They'd left me to die like a murdered dog in the woods. After all I'd done for them. Do you understand? whispered my tormentor, his voice gravelly and cruel. Do you know yet what I am? What? I began. What? Spheres of light danced before my eyes. The ground pitched and rolled beneath me. All the strange familiarity of the man, all the mystical portent I had felt crackling in the atmosphere. I did. I understood. As the blood poured from my cratered chest and pooled in the New Jersey dirt, I knew it was burr this was no actor no loose ends man but aaron burr himself his horrid spirit stalking the cliffs of northern new jersey Craigslist list had sent unto me a wretched spirit a murdering ghast a demon i grinned i spat laughter <laughs> for who then could i be but Alexander Hamilton, of course. How often had I stared at myself in the greasy mirror of the faculty restroom and demanded to know my purpose, my use on earth. Here was my answer, my destiny. I am not a man, but the incarnated spirit of a hero, of great Hamilton, given this day to take revenge upon my killer. I shrieked, a long devilish shriek of glee, and lurched forward from my half-recline, catching the villainous Burr at the calves and sending him backwards in a slapstick cascade. He yelped. I heaved my bleeding husk atop him and cracked my pistol across his wide forehead. Villain! I cried. Burr swiped the blood from his eyes with one hand, scratched at my face with the other, and in an instant we were engaged. Two historic adversaries at each other's throats once more, rolling in the dirt, struggling for life as they'd struggled for control of the country. I punched his kidneys. He clawed his spindly fingers into my wounds. He grabbed for my neck. I bent his fingers backwards. He clawed at my eyes. I kicked at his groin. "'You shan't defeat me, Kerr! I shouted, but at last it was Burr who gained the upper hand, delivering a roundhouse, clenched fist blow to the back of my head. I sank into oblivion. When I recovered my senses, I was immobile. Burr crouched atop me, and staring down, his knees settled heavily upon my open palms. In his fist was the pistol, aimed directly at the center of my forehead. Defiantly, I returned my adversary's gaze. Burr, I said not pleadingly but with the calm dignity befitting washington's secretary of the treasury it cannot end like this this is a coward's way of killing and unworthy of you let us return to paces and present again let us live or die by the ancient code duello mr vice president The scoundrel laughed. You always were a fucking idiot, Mr. Stanley. Mr. What? I said, confused, unable for the moment to recall who this Mr. Stanley was to whom he referred. My hands throbbed from the sharp pressure of his knees. My cratered chest thudded with pain. I'm not Aaron Burr, asshole. I'm Tim Craig. Tim Craig? The name rang a distant chord. Oh, God, right. Timothy Craig, a smug delinquent with an earring. Ten, maybe twelve years ago. He'd... what had he done? A prank of some sorts. Come in before school. Drawn pornographic cartoon on my blackboard. I, what had I done? I'd, I'd been outraged, had argued forcefully for the maximum punishment for trespassing. Yes, suspension. No, expulsion, banishment from the county schools. Well, I don't make the rules, I'd said, and never thought of the boy again. I grunted, shifted my weight. Well, certainly, Tim. I remember. I mustered a little smile, put force in my voice, tried to regain control of the situation. How have you been? I've been in jail. He cocked the pistol, and the unmistakable click of the ball entering the chamber ended any confusion i had not been chosen by fate to fulfill a grand historical purpose to slay the ghosts of the past i was bob stanley and the disgruntled angry man with a decades old resentment was not aaron burr it was just a kid just a kid i thought to myself that makes a lot more sense and then came the bang and then nothing Well, that was our story. Hope you enjoyed it. Gotta watch out for Craigslist. So let's hit some quick listener story feedback for a few episodes we ran last month. First, the double-header special we ran on Ellen Clagis as episode 165, which featured Ringing Up Baby and Mobius Stripped of a Muse. Traveling and Corpse feet said, both cute but ultimately forgettable. In particular, Mobius stripped of a muse feels more like a fun experiment with fiction than does a bona fide story. Whereas T. Baker said, a great double header. I love this one. Ringing up Baby didn't go the direction I was expecting. In many ways, this is a classic cast. Catches you off guard, makes you laugh and smile at how crazy the world is. Mobius was very good. While it's inevitable to see the ending coming, it is a Mobius strip. The author did a great job of portraying each level. I really saw each scene. Then, the following week, we ran Jubilee by Tim Pratt, which we did as a cross-promotional with the fantasy podcast PodCastle. This was the story about the man whose wife died with the weird-ass spear-clad fish creatures in it. And in the forums, there was actually as much chatter about the Drabble, the work that must be done, by Nathan Lee, as there was for the main story. Rich Mazur said, The Drabble has my vote for best Drabble in next year's People's Choice Awards already. As for the main story, I liked it. I thought the portrayal of grief was genuine and moving. I take it that those who thought it was meh do so because either this area fell flat for them, or there just wasn't as much action as they're used to in a DC story. Zoo Squared said, I'm probably stating the obvious here, but I had supposed that the weird fish creature was something surprising, appearing as alien and disturbing in the familiar surroundings of the man's past. Something he was advised not to delve into or think about for his own good. I assumed that this was to echo the way he'd attempted to bury his own fears but the possibility that he'd caused his girlfriend's demise. The goo on his hand mirrored the blood on his shoes, him becoming a creature that didn't belong anywhere anymore. Neat takeaways, Zoo Squared. Thanks for sharing them. You folks at home, don't be strangers. Join our forum community. Let us know what you thought about this week's story. We love hearing from folks out there in the ether. One of which we'd particularly like to recognize this week as our kick ass donor of the week Chris K. Chris. Chris lives in Melbourne, Australia. He struggles to keep his coding and his short stories apart, is fascinated by US politics, especially all that weird tea party stuff, and gets distracted by pieces of string. And we think he rocks for chipping in money to help out our show. Thanks, Chris. You know, people ask me, Norm, why don't you just charge for the Drabblecast? You guys throw a lot of work into it each week. It's definitely worth more than free. And the answer is, friends, if we charged for it, less people would listen, and we'd rather have this show, these stories, these productions, go out to as many ears as possible. People are trying all sorts of weird ass stuff in this new media landscape, and we here at the Drabblecast believe in the notion, the theory, that people who like something will give whatever they feel appropriate to help see that thing keep going, doing more ambitious things, even if they don't have to. We've got costs here at the Drabblecast. We need your help, even if it's just a little. Five, ten bucks. It goes to helping us pay authors for their creative talents and hard work, writing stories that engage you and pull you in. What better way to use a little cash, huh? Go to Drabblecast.org and check out our donation options. We'd really appreciate it. Anyways, enough panhandling. Let's get to our 100-character story this week, huh? twabbling toward a force, Algernon Sidney is dead, with this poignant little story. The officer pulled me from the wreckage and asked, Are you hurt? How should I know? I spluttered. I'm not a lawyer. Ah, lawyers. Can't live with them can't live with them think you can write a good story with only 100 characters give it a shot post it in our forums see how it takes the twobbling grounds are quite fertile there so can't go without thanking our awesome episode artist this week the one and only bo Kyre bo's peddling something really cool that i think you should go check out he's made an 11 by 17 art print mostly for sale at conventions but available online for a limited time The print is a collection of 170 really cool, bizarre, funny, scary, random character faces of his own design, drawn originally in marker, then cleaned up and arranged in Adobe Illustrator. He's numbered and signed 40 copies, and you can hook up with them for the measly price of 10 bucks while they last. This way, he says, you don't have to endure the trauma of actually meeting him in person to get one, and everything can be kept at a safe distance. He's got an easy PayPal button set up. Just go to bowkier.com. That's bo, K A I E R.com, to check it out. You could stare at these things for hours, believe me. So hey, that's our show. It's produced with the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, which means don't change it, don't sell it, just share it all you like. And don't miss next week's show, a really, really badass story that we're doing in two parts with full cast production, one of the coolest things I've ever read. Love it. We'll see you then, weirdos. Until then, our staff is made up of co-editors, Kendall Marchman, Luke Coddington, and yours truly, Norm Sherman reminding you that we don't make the rules. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm -hmm. The evening saunters to closing. The waitress turns chairs upside down. Piano player picks up his tip jar and drink, and the bartender shouts last round. An hour ago this place was loaded...